Welcome to Gardening Talkback on a Monday afternoon. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharps. Scott, great to see you back in the studio once again. Good to see you as well. Oh, excellent. We should see each other outside of the studio at some point in time. Oh, do you think so? Meet somewhere. It might break up the sparkling repartee we have at the beginning. <laughs> we should sort of have some sort of social gathering. Okay. A pub, a cafe, you know, just somewhere where we meet and talk about something else other than this. Fair enough. Yeah. We'll book it in. Okay. Righto. That was a little bit weird. Let's get back on track to gardening, Scott. <laughs> what do you got for us today? Well, I thought we'd talk about mango trees because they are just out in flower everywhere around town at the moment. So it looks like it's going to be a bumper crop for mangoes, uh, medicinal plants, and the most hated plant in the world, the jacaranda. Why is it the most hated? Because it's messy. It, uh, I'll, look, I'll go into it later on. And we've got Gary from Stroud, and he's got a question about the flowering gum. Hey, Gary, how can we help you? Oh, not too bad. I hope I'm not interfering on the bromance there. Is everyone excited <laughs> about that little or? Oh, you, you, could, you could cut the love with a knife here, here across the table. <laughs> um, <laughs> Greg's <I've> blushing. <laughs> is he? Oh, right, okay. Um, um, I've got a little flowering gum out the front. It's kind of the, the um, headpiece, the main piece in our front garden. It's right near the front door. Flowers every year. It's only a little miniature gum. Yeah. Um, pink flower. But this year it just does not seem to be carrying as many buds and doesn't look like it's going to flower nowhere near as much as it usually does. Is there something we can do this late in the picture to sort of maybe give pet or No, look, there's, there's not too much you can do, you know, at this late. It's not going to sort of just jump it into flowering straight away. The best thing yeah. you can do is just to fertilise with a native fertiliser or blood and bone. It's very safe to use. Look, I, I wouldn't be worried. I was talking to uh, an avocado grower actually earlier on this morning, and he said bumper crop this year, heaps of flowers and fruit setting. Um, last year, virtually nothing. So, you know, he couldn't quite put his finger yeah. on it. So, look, it's just nature. I wouldn't be too concerned about it. But uh, a general... You can tell me what the weather's doing. You're a better man than I am. Oh, look, it's, it's all over the shop, isn't it? But a, yeah. a general fertiliser is never going to hurt. So, yeah, some blood and bones probably the safest thing for you to use. We use a lot of the sea salt. Is that... Yeah. Adequate, or do you want something a bit more? Should we use something a bit stronger? Yes, yeah, so sea salt's fantastic for the for the root system of the plant, but that's about all. It's not really feeding, you know, promoting flowering or feeding the leaves like that. It, it's a sort of an all round tonic, but uh, it's not particularly specialised. Uh, but you just have to be careful what you're using on natives, especially those yep. gums. So I'd really just be sticking to the specific native fertilizer or the blood and bone. Very bone. Uh, very safe to use. Okay. okay. Thank you for that. Good luck, and we couldn't let you go without saying, nice, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. That's champagne stuff. Oh, cricket season's almost upon us. Well, it started, in a sense. Oh, it has too. Sheffield Shield's all going again, isn't it? No? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. yep. One day tournament. That's, yeah, but we're not here to talk about that. Uh, we want to know about the Ashes, though. That's the main game. That's it. Yes. But mangoes, though. Yes, they really are out in flower at the moment, aren't they? Big time. I, yeah, look, I've been driving around town seeing some fantastic plants out there, really big plants and just covered in a mass of flowers. I thought we'd have a quick talk about the mango today and just, uh, you know, where it came from and uh, how big it can actually grow because it does make quite a nice shade tree. If you want a quick-growing shade tree uh, in your yard, mango is a very, very good tree to have, in fact. Uh, it will grow very, very quickly. Uh, look, it can get quite large. Uh, that uh, is, I guess, the, the downside to it. You know, mangoes up in their, their normal environment can get to about 35 to uh, 40 metres tall, which is pretty darn big when you think about it. 
Yep. Yep. He's, he's thought about it there and he's thinking that's like a 10 story building or so. Uh, but the great thing about mangoes is they've got a beautiful soft wood and they're very, very prunable trees. So you can let it get to that, uh, you know, three to four meter height that you might want it to get to. And as the canopy starts to spread out and then just every year, just take the top of it. Uh, off and that means you'll still get you know, nice fruit coming off it yep. as well plenty of fruit because on the new growth that's where the fruit will come and you'll have a nicely contained tree and it will get there fairly quickly for you uh, you know it doesn't drop its leaves or anything like that not an invasive root system if you're keeping it pruned to that height and so uh, a generally a very good uh, plant to have in the garden if you want a shade tree but the uh, the main game with them is that they uh, have plenty of fruit in fact I discovered with some research earlier on today yep. that India is in fact the main producer of mangoes in the world. Yeah, right. Yeah, like 18 million tonne or something of it. It's just amazing how much, um, you know, how many mangoes are actually produced over there. I, I'm not that, sh- I was thinking more Central America when I thought of mangoes, but... Well, they're actually from Asia, from that area. Yep. Um, Bangladesh is also a big producer of mangoes as well. You go up into Thailand, of course. Look, Australia is, and I think we're getting bigger, but we just haven't got the, you know, the the temperature, you know, and that that all round humidity that they have in those you know, those Asian countries, just a little bit yep. uh, further north. And they're a little bit on the expensive side, are in, they? Yes, they are. Mangoes. Yeah. Well, I think if you buy the first charity box of the year, I think I saw that on the news the other night. Some yeah, it was like forty thousand. Yeah, might that, have been higher. Yes, that's a lot of money, isn't it? That's a lot of that's a lot of buck for your mango. It is a lot of. That you'd want them to be good. You want them to be sweet <laughs> and juicy. <laughs> and just a bad box. You go. Oh, what all that money? Oh, yeah, that's no good. But look, they ha- they are all around the world now. Uh, they mostly Southeast Asia, uh, East Africa. Um, you know, they they have them in Brazil now, so they do have them in uh, those areas now. Mexico, West Indies, anywhere where that climate. Uh, you know, is that sort of, you know, tropical, subtropical sort of climate. That's where you're going to get the best result for mangoes. That's why there's so many big farms up around Darwin. So, uh, look, a fantastic uh, shade tree and you'll get uh, mangoes. Just keep them pruned to about three to four metres tall and, uh, you know, quite a manageable size. And And you'll be laughing. And enough fruit off it that you can uh, make your daiquiris or whatever you need to do. We've got Lynn from Weston and Scott, she's got a question about an orange tree. How can we help you with it, Lynn? Hi, Scott. We bought a miniature orange tree about two months, three months ago. Yeah. The main stem is really skinny. Can, is, is there any way we can fatten that up? <laughs> uh, yeah, look, just, just time's going to do that. Have you got the plant staked as well? Yes. Yeah, look, yes. That, that's really important. If you have got a, a, a orange tree or, you know, any, any plant that's got a really sort of uh, thin little stem on it, you do need to stake it. Never stake it that tightly that it's sort of bound up hard against the stake. Uh, always just let it loose a little bit so that it can move around, and that actually will strengthen up the root system of the plant, just a little bit of movement, because it gets the message, hey, I've got to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look... Uh, Yes, look, just general feeding is going to be the way. You don't want the plant to get, uh, you know, the head of the plant to get too big either, that it might start to flop around. So if that starts to happen, just give it a light prune back. Uh, But look, just generally uh, feeding and watering that plant, it will start to thicken up and everything will just happen. I guess it's like, uh, you know, a child, you know, they sort of get a bit gangly and everything for a while and then everything starts to fill out and then they shoot up again and everything gets a bit gangly and they get pimples. But eventually everything sort of starts to work out and, and they come good. And the same thing's going to happen with your orange tree. Oh, terrific. Thank you very much, Scott. Have a great day. Okay, good luck with it, Lynn. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I guess the other thing that Lynn should be doing uh, with uh, all citrus trees, they love poultry manure. So uh, poultry manure is fantastic for citrus trees. Okay, right. Yeah. So poultry. Yep. 
a couple of times a year. Good old bucket full around them, not up against the trunk, always just move it away from the trunk. But uh, poultry manure is fantastic for orange trees. Yeah. So oranges and chickens coming yes, together. come together. So if you've got a chook, let it run around tight to the tree. No, don't do that. No. RSPC is on the phone to us straight away. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Jan from Abermain now, and she's got a question about gardenias. Hey, Jan, how can we help you? Yeah, I've got a question about gardenias. Yes. With a comment about the citrus. Yes. We've um, got a lemon tree in the chookyard. Oh, excellent. So they get some. I've got two gardenias. I'm not sure of the variety. They've been in there since we've moved in, which is, what, 12 years or something. They're tall. They're on each side of the front steps. Um, today, are they grafted? Now, when you say they're tall, what do you mean by that? Are they on like a single stem that goes up and then they bush out from there, or are they just generally a tall plant? It's reached at the top of the veranda. No, look, most gardenias aren't grafted. What I was trying to get to with that is some people have standardised gardenias where you have the single stem going up. No, no, it's not standardised. So, no, Um, look, the one you've got sounds like Magnifica. It's not. I know Magnifica. This has got a smaller flower. Okay. Okay. The other one that they have is Professor Pucci. It can get quite tall as well. Uh, Look, the reason I don't think it's uh, Gardenia Florida is because it only gets to about one and a half metres tall. So it might be Professor Pucci, the one that you've got. Okay, the reason, um, one of the questions I want is at the bottom on one of them, the leaves are very much bigger. It's a new growth coming up and the leaves are about twice the size of the other ones, which if it was grafted would make me think it's coming from the rootstock. No, no. So look, they, gardenias aren't grafted like that. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they grow quite well naturally. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I can't be certain about that. It uh, could just be, you know, about light, uh, how much light those particular leaves down there are getting. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Just make sure you're feeding the plant regularly. Uh, now, they love cow manure, so don't go feeding it uh, chook manure. Uh, because no. it uh, makes the uh, soil far too alkaline for them. They actually like acidic soil. So yeah. just get some cow manure and keep on feeding those and making yeah. sure that they're nice and healthy. I also give it um, Epsom salts every so often. Yes, and look, that's important uh, when they're budding up uh, because they draw a lot of uh, iron out of the soil. So if you've actually got chelated iron, that works uh, even better for them. But uh, yeah. certainly Epsom salts works because they do draw quite a lot of uh, iron and magnesium out of the soil when they're budding up. Okay, and do they need to be um, pruned back at all? Ah, yeah, look, certainly you can prune uh, gardenias back quite heavily if you want to, uh, usually after they've finished flowering. Although the thing with gardenias uh, in Newcastle is they just seem to keep on flowering all the time. Uh, But look, even, uh, you know, after they have this initial flush, uh, you know, these last couple of months, then you can give it a prune back uh, and look, a, a tidy up, or if you need to go back hard with gardenias, you certainly can. Okay, thank you very much. Excellent. Have a nice afternoon. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Bye. Jan. Bye-bye. And we've got Lynn from Adawi, and she's got a question about lily pillies. Uh, yes, hello, Scott. Hello, Lynn. How can we help you? Um, I've got these lily pillies that have been in for probably about six months, yeah. and they're getting eaten um, on the top, all the new growth, and it looks like I occasionally see a really bright green little thing that looks like a lady beetle. Yeah, so they come out at night. Uh, look, I can never remember the, the name of those particular beetles, but they, they do come out at night. Okay. Uh, that's why they're very hard to see. They are, yes. Yeah. I've sprayed them hard with yeah. some with my hose, and occasionally I'll see one drop off. I think, oh, they're those little pests that are eating. Yeah, and look, they do do quite a lot of damage. They'll um, do 
not just the new growth, but they seem to eat even the old growth as well. Yes. Yeah, so um, look, they, they are quite uh, quite sort of voracious. They'll eat quite a lot of the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what are we going to uh, get rid of it with? Yes, I'm please. thinking just, uh, you know, so you can probably use a pyrethrum spray if you want to, if you want to use something, uh, you know, sort of a little bit safer. Right. And the other thing you can use is malathon as well uh, and spray that around. Now, you're probably best to go out and uh, do that, you know, just on dusk when you know that they're going to come out and get a little bit more active. And the other thing about doing that as well is that the bees should have gone home for the night as well. Right, yes. okay. Yes. Yes, because they're just starting to get that little bit of a flower on them too, which is encouraging the bees, I think. So. Yeah, so, and look, and the great thing about both of those insecticides, the pyrethrum and the malathion, is that they're not uh, systemic, so they won't go into the plant. They're only a contact spray. So, oh, good. Yeah, okay. so they, they shouldn't, uh, you know, sort of harm the bees, um, you know, because they're only, it would only harm them if they were actually able to contact on them. Okay, and how often should I spray? Will just the once get rid of them, or is it something I'm going to have to follow up with? Uh, no, I'd probably do it again in a couple of weeks' time. I right. have just remembered the name of it. It's called Paropsides Calypso. No. <laughs> I, think, I think my old mother called them the Calypso Beetle for some reason because she couldn't oh, pronounce like the, first, uh, the first name. That's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, yeah, well, well, yes, I'll let you stick to that one. But, yes, that's, that's terrific. Well, thank you very much. Not a problem. So uh, good luck with it. Thank you. Okay. Thank Thanks. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Calypso beetle also sounds like a fun beetle too. It does sound a little bit fun, doesn't it? It's, it's like it's going to shake maracas around and go, you know, sort of dancing around yeah. in a skirt. and It's having parties on your plants. And yeah, 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 yeah. Down at the beach at night sort of thing. But exactly. As soon as the lights go out, <laughs> all these Calypso beetles come out with little sarongs. And... Oh, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Steve now from Adam Bay and he's got a question about the mango tree. Hey, how can we help you with it, Steve? Hi, David. Um, yeah, nice to talk to you, mate. I just heard you. I've got a mango tree here in my backyard and facing northeast, and um, it's got plenty of um, keep it away from the wind, of course, when it comes through. Yeah. Um, but I had a terrific crop last year, and um, I cut it right back. And this year, it's absolutely loaded with 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 flowers. You know, just amazing. You know, um, and I was wondering. I feed it with Magna Z about every every month. You know, I spray it rather with yeah, Magna yeah, Z. And that, that's and to keep away the anthracnos, the uh, the fungal disease that they get in the flower and down through the fruit. So that's really important to do that. Yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I use um, chook manure. Um, is that the way to go? Do you reckon? Yeah. Look, I was thinking about that. Uh, look, that's going to promote a lot of green leafy growth on the plant. I, I'd, I'd mix it up with the mango. Use some, uh, you know, cow manure one time, and then next time use the poultry manure. Ah, uh-huh, fair enough. Yeah, I dug a trench right around it this year. I dug a trench right out that past the the. Um, line of, uh, flu- of leaves, you know, yeah, yeah. and um, it seems to be just an amazing amount of um, fruit that could get on it. Someone told me they get a lot of fruit on it and, and you're best to pick a fair bit of it off, otherwise um, they just all say very small, is that correct? Yeah, look, that, that's this, that's sort of true with a lot of plants as well. They get a little bit optimistic about, you know, what they can handle. So if you thin out the fruit every now and again, it will actually make uh, for, you know, it's the plant just can't handle having, you know, large amounts of fruit on, especially if we haven't had much rain as well and you want to get those nice uh, juicy mangoes uh, so of course yes it is going to you know sort of uh, reduce what it gives to every single you know piece of fruit on there so if you're able to thin it out a bit you are going to promote uh, you know a better fruit uh, with the ones that you leave on there oh fair enough indeed yeah 
Yeah, well, it was a great crop last year, as I say, and they were very big, actually. They were, you know, I think one was about nearly nearly um, 100 grams, you know. And it might work out quite well this year in that it's still been dry and, you know, the fungal disease, the anthracnose, might not go down through the flowers as much because of the, the dry weather we've got. And then hopefully we'll get some rain once that fruit is set and, you know, mm. might suck up a whole lot of water and you'll get big, ju juicy fruit for the rest of the year. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, they've been there in the shops, but anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thank you very much for your information. Okay. Uh, and I'm doing the right thing by the sound of it. Magnazeb. You certainly yeah. are. That Magnazeb's really important for it. Terrific. Okay. Thank you very much Good for your help. Thank you, Steve. Thank okay. you, thank okay. you. Bye -bye. Goodbye. Thanks, Steve. It's Gardening Talkback on 2 and FM. 4921621616, if you've got a question for Scott Sharp. And I think we'll stick with mangoes because Pamela from Summerland Point's got another question about the mango plant. Okay, we've gone from Anna Bay all the way down to Summerland Point. How can we help you, Pamela? Oh, well, I've got a six-foot-tall um, mango tree that we were given, and this year it's got flower and some fruit starting on it. Yep. But um, And we've got to keep it. I heard you... I came in on your tale about you can only, um, you know... Uh, uh, you can keep them at a smaller tree. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Now, um, I bought. I heard you a, a couple of months ago and said about mangazeb for them. Yes. Um, now we've bought the mangazeb in like a powder form, yep. which you make up. Now, should I put it? Should we put it on now, um, or um, you know, so, to stop any disease getting to the mangoes that are slowly forming? They're tiny. Um, and um, do you have to thin the mangoes that are going to grow into big fruit out, or what do you do there? Yeah, so look, we were just talking about that to, to Steve from up at Anna Bay. Mm. Uh, definitely use the mancozeb now. You can yep. actually use it when the flower sets as well and get in there nice and early, but uh, you right. know, obviously a little bit past that now for, for you. Mm. Now, your tree's only six uh, foot tall, so it's really only just a little tiddler at the moment. Yes. Uh, so look, I, I wouldn't let it get too much fruit on it i would definitely thin it out for this year how do you do that just by pick like just cutting some of it some of them off yes yeah, so, yep. yeah it really is that simple you can just pick some of the flower off uh, if it already has formed into small mangoes you can just cut those off yep and it's just going to put the energy back into the mangoes that are remaining and because right. it's only a small plant uh you, you know you really don't want it to be uh you know you know, having too many fruit at the moment, you want no. more of it to go into the growth of the plant. So, mm -hmm. uh, look, allow yourself a couple of mangoes, but uh, don't overload the plant uh, right. at, at this point in time. Now, um, fertilising it, should we be fertilising it after we do the mancozeb, um, should you be fertilising it through that growth period with, like, sea salt or something? Uh, look, sea salt's only really good for the root system of the plant and right. as, as a general tonic. So generally you, you feed, uh, you know, plants with something else. Uh, yep. look, however, the good rule of thumb is when a plant is fruiting or flowering, you don't want to overload it with fertiliser. Right. Uh, so usually I, I would say give it some cow manure, especially especially if it's in the ground, not in yeah, the pot. Yeah, cow manure. Yeah, yep. but I wouldn't do it at this point in time. I would wait for, you know, the fruiting to largely finish. Right. And then you would feed the plant up because that's when it'll have a bit of a growth spurt then as well. Mm -hmm. And again, let's say, oh, what are we now, October? You know, perhaps in August, yep. uh, you would give it some cow manure then, uh, in you know, as we get around to 2018, Next. you'd give it some uh, cow yep. manure in August ready mm -hmm. for, the, uh, for the fruiting season. But generally... Generally, mm -hmm. when any plant's fruiting and flowering, it can actually stress the plant by giving it too much fertilizer. Right. And now, with it, we did buy a white netting from, um, you know, Bunnings, yeah, so yeah. we 
can stop the bats if yes. there's any. But with so little fruit, would it be advisable to, you know, cover it in a white net? Oh, yeah, look, that, that's not going to hurt it at all. It generally mm-hmm. lets the uh, the light through it, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that. You don't want to, uh, you know, have a big sort of big fat bat alighting on your plant no. and then breaking it or something. Uh, so Absolutely look, I, yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, so I, I still try and protect the plant if you could. Okay, then. Thanks very much for your help. Okay, good luck with it. Thanks, Scott. Okay, Thank thanks, you. Pamela. Bye Bye-bye. now. Bye-bye. It's Gardening Talk back on to when you are. I'll stick, we'll, I think we'll stick with the mango tree topic because we've got Douglas from Thornton. And he hasn't got a question. He's got a statement. A statement. Okay. It's, how, can we go, how, how can you help us, Douglas? Yeah, I have been growing mangoes for years. And I found out that when you use chicken manure, it's sort of the, the tree just doesn't like it. They stop fruiting and they go sort of dormant. Yeah, and, and I think that's because there's a lot of nitrogen in fowl manure and it's, it, it would feed the, the green leafy growth of the plant, but nothing else. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a great tip. Thank you for that. Yeah, cold, cold manure is good, but not chicken manure. Yeah, yeah, that, that's correct. And I think it, over time it would also, uh, you know, increase the alkalinity of the soil and the mango wouldn't necessarily like that. All right, OK. OK, well, thank you for your help. Thanks, Douglas. Cheers. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Cheers. It's always nice to get a suggestion, isn't it? It is. And, uh, yeah, look, that, and that's great. Um, Douglas has just reinforced what I've been saying, and uh, he's had a bit of experience with mangoes, so that's fantastic. So, yeah, maybe a little bit of chicken manure, but um, obviously don't overdo it. They prefer cow manure. Yep. Yep. Don't go too mental with manure in general, really, isn't it? Well, not, not too much, especially... Well, the thing is, uh, people often will use cow manure or pottery manure if they've got a plant in a pot, and that's a really dangerous thing to do because it, uh, it's very strong it can burn the plant. So the uh, rule of thumb with uh, manures is only if the plant is sitting in the ground. Right, OK. Yeah, because it, it can disperse better and uh, you know, feed the plant that way. In a pot, it's far too uh, concentrated and contained. Very good. It's Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. A question for Scott Sharp. You can give us a call on 49216216. And we've got Beverly from Raymond Terrace. Must be a bit of a flavour today with mangoes and citrus plants. She's got a question about the orange tree. I think everyone's getting ready for summer. How can we help you, Beverly? Oh, <coughs> hello. Yes, how can we help you? Uh, I have beautiful orange tree, navel orange, and... This year, it's been terrible. The oranges have just fallen down and they're all mouldy. And all I'm doing is raking and throwing them in the garbage. So, um, but before, I could give um, bags away, you know. Yeah, look, I wonder why that's happened this year in particular, um, so are they falling off the tree mouldy or is that when they hit the ground and they just sort of stay there and they, they're getting a bit mouldy? Um, uh, they've been terrible. I've just uh, put bags and bags in the garbage. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, what's probably happened at the uh, with your... With your uh, orange tree Beverly is that you know we've just had really really dry weather and the plant's probably getting a little bit stressed and uh, what it's doing is uh, it's dropping its fruit just as a survival mechanism and uh, plants will often do that so they'll drop their flower or their uh, or their fruit uh, once we you know when it's really really dry weather citrus trees don't have uh, particularly deep root systems and uh, so you know if it does get dry and that water table drops down and they've got the fruit on there where they need to be drawing that moisture up 
out. That's what they'll do. They'll drop their fruit. And uh, and I think that's what's happening for you. Don't be concerned. I think, you know, if we have some better weather uh, leading into, you know, the orange season next year, Beverly, everything will be fine for you. Well, we've got Brian from Curry Curry. Uh, Scotty's got a question about climbing beans. Beg your pardon? Hey, Brian, how can we help you? Um, climbing beans. Uh, I've put, put a row in. Yeah. And there's only a few come up. And then the others follow, but as soon as that little bit gets out the ground, something's nipping the tops off. Uh, I mean, you could have a hungry, um, oh, what could it be? You could have a hungry rodent of some sort of, you know, running around the house. Um, it can be possums, uh, look, anything like no, that. No, mate, there's none of them around here. Uh, <laughs> okay, look, look, any other... Last in- year, I'd done really good with them. Yeah, yeah. No trouble at all, but this year... No. Uh, look, have you thought about uh, casting a net or something over the top of them? I have. Yeah, yeah, when they're coming out of the ground. Yeah. a mesh, but no, it's done no good. Right, so it sounds like it's some sort of smaller insect then that's flying around. Is there a hookworm or something or a, um, a cutting worm or something like that? Oh, look, there there are, but I, I wouldn't think at this time of year and for beans uh, like that... Uh, but it must be some sort of insect that, that's sort of moving around and doing that for you. Look, the, mm. the trouble is, though, uh, have you got snail bait down as well? Mate, we don't, well, we don't have much trouble with um, snails or slugs because we've got blue tongues around the yard. Oh, right, yeah, well, look, they're, they're, they're the best at keeping snails. They're the snail- best oh, you can get. They yeah. really are, aren't they? They're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, look, the, the best I can do for you is, you know, there's nothing you can just spray around, you know, willy-nilly that, you know, might, you know, keep something away. It's, yeah. You know, it's a bit of a shot in the dark, unfortunately. Uh, the best I can say for you is just to try and net it, um, you know, tr- have some sort of covering over there and make sure, uh, you know, you can use a pyrethrum spray if you want to. But again, unless it's contacting something, uh, you know, it's not really going to have an effect. Yeah. So, look, I'd just be trying to protect them physically and uh, watering them and making sure that... Yeah, I keep the water onto them. Yeah, that they come up nice and quick and get growing for you. Yeah. Yeah. But thanks for that anyway. Okay, not a problem at all. Thanks, mate. Okay, cheers, Brian. Bye-bye. All right. We've got Trev now, and he's got a question about macadamia trees. Hey, Trev, how can we help you? Uh, Scott, I've got a couple of macadamia trees in. They're not very big, they've only been in the ground probably eight years. But I've noticed one this year, a lot of the leaves are turning a yellow and brown and falling off. Um, I'm just wondering if there's something I can put in the ground to help boost it. Yeah, so macadamias are a native as well. I would uh, only be using blood and bone or a specific native fertiliser on them. Uh, so you just, have, right. yeah, just have to be a bit careful about them. Look, mate, if the leaves are turning brown like that as well, it might uh, you know, make sure they're getting plenty of water at this time of year. It is very dry. Uh, look, the other thing is if uh, you can gather some of those leaves or even if you want to take a couple of photos, mate, and uh, email a picture of them to us, um, we'll be quite happy to have a look at that because it could be some sort of insect or mite infestation you've got. Um, but if you can, yeah. can gather a couple of leaves and take them into your local garden centre, um, you know, there'll be a horticulturist in there that should be able to help you all. Otherwise, you can email us um, a couple of photos at gardening at 2 com. Fantastic. All right. And we'll have a squiz at them for you. Um, but look, generally, I would say gently fertilise it, make sure it's being well watered, and uh, then we'll try and cover some other bases for you. 
All right. Okay, I'll try that watering up first. Because they were natives, I don't water them a lot, so maybe I should be. Yeah, look, it is very dry again, and they are a plant that, uh, you know, lives up in sort of subtropical, um, you know, regions and does very well up there. So uh, being very dry, uh, you know, very low humidity, so watering would be important at this time of year. And just a general browning off of the leaves and them falling off sounds like a plant that might be a little bit uh, dehydrated and heat-stressed. All right, thanks for that, Scott. I'll try it up first. Okay, Trev, but otherwise, mate, uh, use that email address and um, send us some pics and we should be able to help you out that way. Okay, cheers, mate. You have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye. It's Gardening Talk back on to a new RF family. I think we've got time for maybe one more caller. We've got Joanne from Gloucester. And she's got a question about a bug that turns leaves into lace. (sighs) Tell us about them, Joanne. Oh, hello. Yes, wondering if you'd give me some advice on monolithus, please, that love my wisterias, my roses that are in full bloom, and I might come out tomorrow and find them all with little holes everywhere. So you're just, you're just looking to uh, get rid of them generally? Well, we seem to, they send their scouts out and yeah. then we come out and there's monolithus everywhere. Yeah, look, I, I think the, uh, the safest thing to use is a pyrethrum spray. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not. It's generally not going to harm. Um, look, look, it can. Just make sure there's no bees around. Yeah. Uh, especially on your wisteria. So be careful yeah. about that. So again, you know, probably go out at dusk and do that when you know they've gone uh, and tucked themselves up in bed. So uh, it's really something up with which I have to put. Yeah, look, <laughs> there's it, it not is a lot a, you can do for them, is it? They no. just come in droves and then disappear. Yeah, and so you just have to be spraying at that time when you know they're around. Yeah. yeah. And there's not no other quick fix. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not. And uh, look, you just don't like I've said to so many people, you just don't want to be spraying uh, willy nilly. No. Uh, look, one one of the um, I was talking to this avocado grower this morning, and he said there weren't many pollinators around next year. So it always sort of—I always try and keep the bee thing. You know, no, we in have front lots of, of bees. I've yeah. got a big garden and lots of bees. I don't have a problem with that. It's just the, as I call them, the dreaded monolithus. <laughs> yeah. So, just, so if you are going to spray, just make sure you do it on dusk, because generally oh. that's when those insects, are, you know, come out and have a go. Come as out. Well. Yeah. yeah. All right then. Thank you very much for your help. Okay. Good luck with Thank it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, so, Joanne. It's Guarding Talk back on to a new RFM. Now, Scott Sharp, at the top of the show, you mentioned jacaranda plants. Yes. You've got a bit of a beef with them. I've always had a beef with the jacaranda. Always had a bit of a beef? Yeah, always had a beef. It's a messy plant. It's not very good for having in the inner city. They're too big a plant. They drop their leaves. They drop their flowers. So a lot high maintenance is what you're saying. Yeah, but I just saw they're in flower at the moment, so I thought I'd have a quick chat about them. Why not? Yeah. Lovely in flower, though. Lovely in flower. Look, I wouldn't have a jacaranda, you know, within 25 to 30 metres of your house. It's the sort of plant, if you've got a big, long backyard, you know, you whack it down in the back corner. Right, so, right at the back. Yeah, so that it, uh, you know, annoys the na- your next-door neighbours, uh, you know, rather than your house. And, right. and look, this all stems <laughs> from personal experience, where I had yep. one at a house up in New Lambton Heights when I used to live up there. And uh, it was planted pretty much right over the top of the house. It was about two metres away from the gutter. Uh, oh, okay. I think I slipped down the stairs one time when the flowers had all fallen off and, uh, you know, the leaves had fall off and choke so up a, the gutters. There's a personal hatred there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is sounding more like a vendetta, isn't it? But it's not. This is absolutely grounded. This has got a foundation in common sense, what I'm trying to say here today about the jacaranda. Yes. Nice, I'm, nice I'm, looking plant. Uh, good shade tree and everything. Um, but something you put right down in the back of the garden. Look, they're uh, actually native to uh, Mexico, that sort of uh, Central American uh, area, you know, South America. With a name like Jacaranda. Yeah, they actually come from the uh, sort of desert highlands uh, up in Chile, I believe, 
where it's actually quite dry. And that used to be the old it's, thing. That it's not you, Mexico. No, well, they, they spread up that far as well. Oh, you know? yeah. and South America's all connected, apparently. Yeah, except Chile's in North America. No, Chile's in South America. Not Chile, I mean Mexico. Mexico. Oh, okay, so you're saying Mexico's North America. Yeah, that's just under... I'd say Mexico's Central. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> we'll have to have our geography lesson for next week, I think. <laughs> we'll have a big board up on the wall. I think we both might have to do a bit of homework for that. <laughs> yeah. But they, they like that uh, sort of dry conditions, and, and that's often when they'll flower here uh, when it's dry and they're a little bit stressed. Uh, it used to be the old thing, uh, you know, you go out and hit them um, to try and get them to flower and give yep. them some stress. I don't know. That that's just like an old wives' tale, right? I just get with like a paddle board or something, cool. Yeah, yeah, an old tennis racket on its side or something like yeah. that. One of uh, Kyrgios's backhanders, backhanders, yeah, or throw. Just, yeah, don't break the racket <laughs> on it though. So that that would get them going. Uh, they they get really big though, you know, twenty to thirty meters tall. You know, they can probably spread twenty meters as, as well. So that's why I keep on saying to people, if you want to plant one, plant it a long way away. Sounds like you've got to keep on top of it as well. Look, the trouble with pruning them, though, is they get these funny water shoots. So it's no good saying, oh, like, I'll just keep it pruned to a certain height or a certain shape because it doesn't yeah. quite work. Uh, you prune them and then they get these water, what I call water shoots. They're like vertical fingers that come up from where you've pruned it and it completely destroys the shape of the tree. So pruning a jacaranda is you know, virtually a no-no. Um, as far as you know, can, keeping that really nice shape to it. So again, it's just a plant uh, you know have a long way away. It's a nice big feature. Um, stick it down in the backyard, put some tables and chairs underneath it, and enjoy the shade. It sounds awful if you can't prune it. Yeah, I know that that's the trouble with them. They do get these weird vertical shoots that uh, just you know go up into the sky and they completely de- destroy the shape of it. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay, Scott Sharp. Have anything else you'd like to add before we? Oh, we were going to talk about medicinal plants. What sort of plants? Medicinal plants. plants. Yeah, so if something's going wrong, you know, if you, uh, you know, need to have something, uh, you know, soothed or... uh, If you've got like an upset stomach or something. Yes, yeah, we can talk about uh, one. This is one I hadn't actually heard of, lady ferns. So blechnum ferns, really nice soft ferns. If you've got, uh, you know, some sort of burn or a minor cut or a sting or something like that, Get some fern, roll it up in your hand, sort of rub it into a bit of a mash and rub it on there. And apparently it creates this beautiful sort of soothing salve on your skin. I've right. never heard about uh, lady ferns doing that before. But uh, yeah, we, we can talk about uh, medicinal plants a little bit more uh, next week if you want to. Right. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, because uh, of course there's marijuana. I don't know how much we can talk about that. We probably cannot. We probably, probably cannot, <laughs> but it, it actually does have quite a few good properties that we could discuss in a very sensible way. Good for clothes. Yes, and for rope, for tying up ships as well. Oh, very good. Well, maybe we can talk about maybe it. Maybe we can talk about it in a sensible way. In a sensible manner, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a safe environment. A safe environment, <laughs> yes. Scott Sharp, thank you very much. We'll catch you next week. Okay, we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>